Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. I've always kind of wondered what would happen if I just like screamed it at the top, you know, like folks, um, folks, basketball, as you know, I'm sure you're aware you're here. So I assume that you think and believe this with your whole heart. Or if you're new to basketball, let me convince you why basketball is so very good. Hopefully over the course of this conversation, we'll do that. This is the answer. My name is Jay Kyle Mann. Uh, I'm joined by the poet laureate of Edmonton, Sirit Sohi, but Sirit is, uh, she's Carmen San Diego. It's kind of hard to know where in the world she is at any given time. She's always on a plane. She's always a plane on one of those maps, just sort of like uh, going, traversing countryside and uh, and all kinds of geography. But Sirit, you're not at home. Where are you right now? What you doing? You, it looks like you're in, in unfamiliar territory. You know, live from Philadelphia, here to bring you Joel Embiid propaganda. I'm kind of like, I'm just no fixed address at this point. And if this is the first basketball podcast you're ever listening to, boy, you're in for one today. It's a good one. We're going to talk about MVP. So I think I'm in the right location. Did you fly to Philadelphia? Are you that method that you flew to Philadelphia just to get into? Did you? Were you like down on, were you boots on the ground, like elbowing people? Like I have been this? trolling people on Twitter. Um, I sat down for an interview with GQ actually. And I, and I told the interviewer that I had wrestled a lion with my bare hands and he believed me. Uh, so yeah, I'm in my, I'm in my Joel Embiid bag right now. I've actually been training with Drew Hanlon, uh, working on my mid range game. So yeah, you know, ask me anything about Joel and I'll, I'll, I'll be ready to go. I might try to pull out an impersonation at some point today, although I'm not quite there yet. And I do, I do have great re- uh, respect for the craft. So 
we're going to see. Well, it's inspiring to me that not only would you go there, I thought you were just going to like gather intel, but it sounds like you were like fully embracing like the Philly, you know, the Liberty, you know, the brother, the city of brotherly love that you were like getting into sort of their, their angst and their energy and their, um, well, they actually, they make you do this when you move to America, you actually have to go to Philadelphia. Oh really? At I one point. Re- yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah. It's, okay. it's not, it's not enough for America to be the center of the universe. Uh, you gotta, you gotta go to the birthplace and you gotta check out all the sites and then they kind of like give you a stamp and you're like, okay, well, you can, st- you can stay. I might have to do a test after, but we'll see. Yeah, you'll pass with yeah. flying colors. I'm sure you're very adaptable, um, as, as are these players. I, are you, I, I was curious here, whenever like you get, I mean, are you one of those people that like when you are wheels down in a new place, are you like, I gotta like, I gotta go sip the local fare. I gotta like go get something. I gotta, you know, do you, or, or do you hold up and just kind of like to the, are you kind of a real professional? Like I'm you know, straight to the mm. arena, straight back. I do my business back on the plane. Uh, you know, I, I'm just curious what your regiment's like quickly before we get It totally depends on the trip and it depends on my energy levels. But like when in Philadelphia, one has to have a cheesesteak. I'd also, Did anybody you? that's in Philadelphia, like, please, please tell me things to do. Um, I'm in a cool neighborhood. I might go for a walk later. It's really nice out and then just kind of see where I find myself. But the architecture here is really nice, so maybe I'll... And I actually, you know, I, I joke, but I really am kind of enough for American history and all that stuff. So Philly, I'm not here for that long. It's already got... got I've already got plenty to do. Um, it's, it's... I've never actually spent that much time here. The last time I was here was in... Uh, it was here in, I think it was 2017. What was the year that Dion Waiters signed that ridiculous contract with the Miami Heat? Uh, I was supposed to... Write a profile about him and go straight to Miami to write the profile about him. And it was right before training camp. And it was all kind of about how he like started to really take things more seriously. Right. But then in the last minute, he decided that the week before training camp, he just wanted to have like one more weekend in Philadelphia to party. So then as one does. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I had my flight booked and everything, but then they flew me to Philadelphia instead to do the interview and then to Miami for training camp after. Good old Dion Waiters. He was, a, he was a cool guy. Sounds he was like a, cool a fun guy. ride. This you season seem is, like he uh, seems like he'd be a really fun hang. He does. He does. He does. I mean, he ins- are you about to say this a- season has been a fun hang? No, I was going to say a fun uh, a fun ride, but uh, you know, uh, like Waiters. I mean, yeah, he inspired sort of a whole sort of uh, ethos, pathos, whatever you want to call it. Like uh, for the, I mean, the Ringer specifically, we've just been like energy in a small dose that is like irrational in like. <laughs> he, he's inspired a whole kind of a mindset, but no, I mean like this, the past few seasons, I know we're joking about like the way that, uh, you know, the, there's, there is a sort of energy that has been strong lately. I feel like, you know, the Philadelphians are out there defending their boy, you know, Maury's been very, uh, talkative about it. He's been kind of sliding his, his, his sort of, uh, his in- information out there, his, his mm-hmm. propaganda, this season has been sort of a repeat of the past uh, two or three seasons. I guess going back to the first uh, MVP that that uh, and, and these guys have all kind of been on a similar path. You know, Jokic comes into the league in fourteen, and and uh, you know Giannis comes in in thirteen, and Embiid comes in in fourteen. So these guys have kind of been on parallel tracks. They've matured into mm-hmm. like title winning era. You know, that part of a player's career, which I guess we could probably agree is somewhere in that like 25 to 28 range, typically for most players. Some players are ahead of it and they get on it earlier. But we've kind of watched these guys mature together 
And mm-hmm. as a result, we have debated them in clusters together. Um, and the guys that I'm talking about, of course, are Nikola Jokic, who is trying to vie and win his third MVP, uh, and Joel Embiid. He is trying to uh, secure it'd be his first if I'm if I'm not mm-hmm. losing my mind. And, and then Giannis, who's who's also won one. Uh, so we're we're kind of debating these guys against each other, and I feel like. I feel like these guys are, are sort of sides of a coin, and we can get into more of that in a bit. But uh, overall, you know, uh, every single year, this this discussion sort of shores up um, whether we realize it or not. Sort of the nature of of what this award mm-hmm. even means, um, mm-hmm. and kind of going um, going back through history, uh, you know, that has sort of revealed itself. You know, there's there's like all kinds of things that come into play, like voter fatigue, like um, which is a real thing. Would you say that's the biggest weighing sort of thing over this? Because if you know, if it were true every single year, that uh, I don't know. Do you think voter fatigue is the biggest sort of narrative hanging over this? What do you think? I just love the phrase voter fatigue, as though voting and like voting in this process is like the most exhausting thing. That one could ever do. The discussion that it can is, be exhausting. That is, the I discussion mean. is exhausting. The discussion is exhausting. And I think actually, before we even get into any of the MVP stuff, I would love to balance things out with a little bit of toxic positivity Ooh, okay. and just say really nice things about all of these guys. You know, that's allowed. Cause, yeah, that's because we're going to be talking about flaws and we, when we, cause we have to, because we're comparing three of the best players in the NBA, but just to put these in the context of these guys are the top 1%. If you're a fan of either of these guys, if they're on your team, you're incredibly lucky and you would be crazy not to be crazy for them and be like, you know, annoying every NBA voter analyst, anybody who speaks up against your guy. Like I I love that energy. You should be you should be doing that cuz these guys are awesome. All by the way, all international players. Yeah. Um, shout out to the immigrants as always three of the funniest guys in the league in in their their own ways yeah in their own unique ways i feel like joel people have soured on his personality a little bit um don't love that he's such a jokester especially early on i think people only like it when you're funny after you've won something which is super annoying if you're like that just turn this podcast off um like I don't know. I'm just we like, I would rather just go that, for a spe- specific, you know, I, I I think we should just aim for a niche that likes us, you know, in, in this, in this era of micro influencing, I think, I think we can go in that direction and be very successful. Um, Good note. Joel is, Joel is hilarious. I think he's also, I love, I've always loved his attitude. Um, just the way that he's been able to embrace Philadelphia, Philly fans for all that they he's are got he's got that. he's got some great he's got some toughness and he just doesn't take things personally i think you know, like go back to how well he got along with jimmy butler uh whereas you know there are some some big men in the league have not fared so well have not fared so well in that fire and uh you know there are different strokes for different folks that's fine uh but just just pu- putting that out there he's got some uh he's got some a-hole energy you know he's like yeah. he definitely you know he's talked about uh He's talking. He's talked about picking on TJ McConnell and trying to make him cry. He's talked about. He just. He has some of that. He has some of that. Like I want to humiliate you, energy, which which Giannis also has. I feel like they they are sort of closer together in their like in their approach and their personality 
Giannis is a little bit more. He has that like meekness where he's like, oh, you know, but then he'll he'll like mm-hmm. very, uh, very aggressively big wife guy. He'll flirt with her in ways where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this boy is wild. Uh, and then, but then Jokic is the flip side where his like reservedness and his sarcasm and dryness is mm-hmm. what makes him funny. Which kind of, I always think I have this yeah. theory that like your personality, like your style of play, really does come out in your personality i've always thought that or like or right like reverse it the other way i mean like i I feel like who your character as a person Mm -hmm. is often reflected in how you play as a basketball player what do you think Jokic wants absolutely zero attention at all times one of the funniest things he said this year was his during his all-star interview where he said that he didn't want to win the mvp and that made people want to vote for him which is just such a hilariously american Americans hating their own ethic of self-obsession thing right there. It's the Jon Snow, the the unwilling king, right? When yeah. You want to make him king because he, he doesn't want it. And then he says this year he's going to say he wants the MVP so that people don't vote for him, but that that isn't working either. And Jokic <laughs> just wants to be left alone. I love that he eats microphones. I think Jokic is kind of like, Jokic just kind of like the office and like, Joel Embiid is kind of like impractical jokers. Actually, Giannis is more like impractical jokers. Just lacks a certain nuance with his humor. More dad jokes. But you still appreciate it for what it is. It's And and much like his play style, just aggressive. Straight to to the rim. No nuance. Yeah. No mid-range. No moves. Just And it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. He is moves. I guess. I guess it's yeah. sort of his, uh, yeah, his his around the basket craft, which is something that we could, you know, definitely get into and parse here in a minute. Anytime anybody uses the word parse, you know, some great something great is coming, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anytime that word comes out of my mouth, I'm like, yeah, Kyle, really selling it. Um, so yeah, we love these guys' personalities, and they're all bigs. That's the other thing too. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, I know you, you and I have kind of talked about how like the positionless thing is 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 right up our alley. To the the discussion about that, um, and I've had conversations with people about that. I personally don't have a problem with the positionless thing going away. Um, you know, big people in a game that was designed, you know, to, uh, where a ball is supposed to go in a basket, and the, that basket is ten foot high. Mm-hmm. 10 feet high, the, the tall players were always going to have an advantage. And we find ourselves in a position where these guys are all three sort of, again, like their personalities, they are kind of sides of a coin in terms of their approach and their play style, despite them being big. I mean, like, I, you know, Jokic and Embiid obviously are like kind of true fives. I know I just said the positionless thing, but they are top of the food chain in terms of like physicality and like presence near the rim and things like that. Um, I feel like you could kind of debate there is sort of a debate, and I want to get into this um, before we just start, you know, throwing catch-all stats at each other, which we can do. I know that for some people, that's what the MVP vote is. They're just like, okay, well, these metrics that we created, and in some and in some situations, to kind of confirm our own bias, where we'll like, you know, I've never created a metric, but I'm sure some of it is like, well, I need to, I need this to match. How else do you create it other than to like match what your eyes see, right? Because you can't, because if you didn't match what your eyes see and it came back, you were like, well, this mathematically makes sense to me. If it came back and told you like, oh, hey, Will Barton's the best player in the NBA, you'd be like, well, this is incorrect. So I'm sure some of that is in there. Um, I don't know. What do you you think about the catch-all metric approach to this conversation? I just love you going QAnon on advanced analytics here. I never thought I'd see this term That is not what I just did. Just don't. (laughs) <laughs> Strike me as that type of Kyle. Lean into it. Lean, don't you know? Just it's it's all good. 
It's all good. It's all good. It is. The NBA season is coming down to the wire, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Some of these games that are ending the season here that are going to be important for the standings. If you want to bet on player props, who's going to go off? Who's going to be bought into these games? Who's going to get motivated? Those are all things to consider. It'll be fun to think about. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA. That's FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA to learn more. And FanDuel is also also now live in Massachusetts. Download the app now and take advantage of their great special offers, boosts, and more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 and up and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. FanDuel is now offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. The core of this is the the difference between Jokic and, I mean, most other players in the world. He's a pretty singular talent. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you, let's just start with like value. The simple question, what does it mean? We, you talked to, you made an interesting point about like the dependency on a certain player, which, which let's just start there. Which, which player Mm -hmm. in this conversation do you think is the most depended on for their team to be good? Because all three of these guys are on good teams. You know, the bucks, bucks are 56 and 22. The Sixers are 51 and 27 and the, the nuggets are 52 and 26. Very close, almost Mm -hmm. lockstep records. These are all good teams, but which of these players do you think is like depended on the most of these three? Yeah, all three of these guys could win a championship at the end of the, end of the year, which makes this really exciting too. Um, well, first let's let's talk a little bit about the whole dependency thing. There are a lot of different ways to assess MVP. That's one thing we've been doing in this series is talking about different definitions for the award. The dependency thing is just essentially looking at the valuable and most valuable player and following that above all else. Um, it's essentially awarding the player who does the most for his team and without whom the team would probably be lost on an island somewhere stranded like just doesn't have a lot else going on um i think in the era of heliocentrism this has become a more common way of looking at this award too just one player who can do 
pretty much everything for a team. That's that's that also tends to be at this point what we value from superstars. There's a point where you know Luka Doncic, like in November, was probably the front runner for this award alongside Jason Tatum. Now those guys, different roles for their teams for sure, but I think Luka kind of embodies that. I think the advanced stats, which you know you've been kind of hinting at, point to Jokic being that guy. And I think that's probably fair, uh, just because of his playmaking, the way he makes he makes everyone on that team just he makes some players a little bit better. He makes some players a lot of it better. He turns Aaron Gordon into a borderline all star. Um, he turns Michael Porter Jr. into like a passable a passable shooter, um, despite his shot selection, which is a very oh, di- difficult passable. thing. He's a very good shooter. He's more than passable. He's a very good shooter. He turns him into a fish- an efficient shooter despite his shot selection, which if you have seen Michael Porter Jr.'s shot selection at times, man, like, uh, Jokic is doing some heavy lifting there. You know, I think you could give him the award based on that alone. Um, he assists Murray on a three-pointer a game, Michael Porter Jr. on a three-pointer a game, and, and KCP too. And uh, I think this is another reason that the advanced stats love him. He is so good at finding players for three. It's not just the playmaking, but it's the shots that he finds guys for. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling out the abacus here, so it's none of that advanced stuff that, that you don't like. Um, just just some straight, simple math. Is that okay. is that cool with you? That'll do. Yeah, I just, okay. I just don't want any of the fake news. You know. Okay. All right. All right. So, Jokic, if you combine his twenty four point nine points per game average, he also creates twenty four point seven points from assists, which is ridiculous. Which <laughs> <laughs> is just ridiculous. Yeah. Let's just pause there. We're just laughing. Um, it's that he just. It's not that he just hits the open man too. It's like he he manipulates and creates angles that would not exist for anyone else. Like he finds lanes that just aren't there that i think if you, you got to get used to playing with him for a while he so he generates almost 50 points per game Giannis 31 plus 11 is at 42.1 and this is where this is where you know things kind of turn for for our guy from philly here uh 33.2 points per game plus 6.4 points from assists that is yeah. very low that is very low. And so he, he generates, despite being the most skilled scorer on this list, right? Despite uh, being the most skilled scorer on this list, I think you can make you can make an argument for Jokic. I, I think that's the thing. Once you and this is getting into the hypothetical and the abstract, and we could just say Jokic has the ball in his hands way more just because he basically functions as a point guard in the way that Embiid doesn't, and Embiid is playing with a, a true another facilitator, a Mm full-time facilitator. I mean, Jokic, per 100, 141 uh, touches per game. Embiid, 102. And and Giannis splits the difference there almost at 114. Um, But this is what's tough, is that we're sort of, we're going from A to B, and for for one player, A to B is this aesthetically pleasing. It reminds me of, uh, I was just like revisiting, actually, um, like in the history of the MVPs, there have been a lot of like years I know where like we disagree about like the or we look back in retrospect and we're like, hey, we got that wrong. And one of them was uh, Wes Unseld, which was like a thing like he had this very aesthetically pleasing way that he played um, and people enjoyed um, Wes Unseld, another a, a Louisvillian. Uh, but he he had this like 
pleasing way that he played. But like, I, I feel like there's a similar way thing that's going on between Jokic and Embiid where we ding Embiid's passing, but Embiid's like rim pressure and like physical, you know, our buddy Mike Pina wrote about this on The Ringer, wrote a really good piece about his passing evolution. He's never going to be the passer that Jokic is, but Jokic is never going to be the downhill force that Embiid is, you know, and you, if you think about like the the sort of carnage and the frustration that his free throw generating uh, mm -hmm. causes, you know, Giannis and, jo and Embiid are closer together in terms of their like free throw generation. Uh, you know, Giannis is at 12.2 and Embiid is at 11.8. Jokic isn't aggressive like that. But is that a knock against him? You know, it's like just because they're not aesthetically pleasing in the same way. I don't know. I, I feel like we, you know, they're they're mm -hmm. sort of making up for a little bit of the distance between like the offense that's generated, not quite as much. But I, that seems like a thing that people really key in on, don't you think? Well, my my issue here is not aesthetic. I I don't care how many times Joel Embiid gets a line. I also find him incredibly fun to watch. He is truly one of the more entertaining scorers in the league. He's incredibly creative um, when he gets. You know, I have a I have a weird relationship with when he gets triple teamed because I'm always a little bit like, well, how is he going to get his way out of this one? You know, is it going to be a pass <laughs> fake this time? Like, what kind is he is he going to just pump fake and find a different angle to shoot a, a midi from? Is he going <laughs> to pump and spin? Like, there are so he has so many different things in his bag, and it's really fun to watch. I've never really gotten with the idea that he's not fun to watch i get that it slows the game down obviously yes that's part of it but can i clarify my, what i meant i guess more i i think more, more more what i'm saying is i feel like Jokic is at the heart of this purism i think that mm. people talk about the game where they want they think about like t i always talk about touch time with Jokic. i talk about how he touched it more but he touches mm. it in shorter bursts and he's more of a when you think about valuable players that you build your team around heliocentrism is a way to put it i was like saying some players are conduits and some players are like power sources like every all all their batteries basically for their mm -hmm. for their offense i feel like Jokic is more should we i guess just should we fault Embiid for the fact that he has this aggressive lean towards scoring whereas Jokic doesn't i see so like are are we biased towards the beautiful game essentially? yes yeah, okay. that's what I'm asking. I think we are. I think me and you specifically are. A lot of writers are, if we're being fair. If we're being fair. I think I, that's, I think that's fair, fair, though. I think that that wins more often than the other style wins. You know? I think there's a reason that the Warriors are like the dynasty of our era. You know? Yeah, but I think that excludes a lot of the conditions that come along with that. And the fact that, like, the roster building that has to come with that, like, you know, Giannis has a title. There's condition. You know, you, you mentioned the Warriors. Like, just mm -hmm. mentioning the beautiful game part of the Warriors excludes a whole important part of that, that roster build, which was the incredible effort that had to go into supporting Steph defensively, which mm -hmm. is another part of this that right. like, it is beautiful we don't doubt that Jokic can score we don't doubt mm -hmm. that he's going to be able to pick defenses apart he's seen them all he knows them all he welcomes them mm -hmm. he welcomes double teams with a handshake and, and a high five he's like cool I love it double team me um, mm -hmm. but you know the fact that like I, I feel like they've had to really go above and beyond to support him defensively. And that's that's mm -hmm. an important part of this. You know, the, the beautiful game alone is is not the whole story. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, let's 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 talk about that. I think so both of these players, Embiid and Jokic, we'll talk about Giannis later, but 
beating Jokic, I think two defining flaws in their game um, that have also defined the roster construction around them. And I think the tendency with Embiid is to not see this as a flaw, at least until recently. Um, Just how slow and methodical he plays. In a game, in an Eastern Conference, which, by the way, they just played the Bucks on the weekend. And I think that game goes a lot differently if every time, you know, the, the Bucks get a switch, they the, the Sixers don't dribble twice and do nothing before passing to the guy with a mismatch. Like, that would just, I don't know. That just seems like a good idea to me. You're punting your geometry advantage. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this earlier in the year that this was the issue with them. But they have some, yeah. of the, like, the power of will scores that can kind of push through that, that, you know, Denver doesn't necessarily have as much. They have more like mm-hmm. finesse kind of scores. Um, I, I honestly, all like I don't, I don't know. They move faster and just like on on the Philadelphia point for a second, and on uh, on Embiid style and his playmaking, and also Harden style in his playmaking. I think that it just doesn't maximize Embiid's MVP case and his his scoring and just the level of gravity that he is able to create by just being such a threat. He has turned himself into an impossible scorer and he's not getting the most out of it just because he doesn't take the playmaking part of the game seriously enough. Like one thing from Pina's article, when Embiid is doubled in the post, Philly's offense musters only 102, 110.2 points per 100 possessions overall this season. When Embiid passes out of a double team in the post, he generates 1.28 points per possession. One, one of those is better than the other, significantly. Um, and I've heard Embiid's sort of philosophy on this. He likes being a scorer. He doesn't really love the idea that he can't make plays. He says that they have a guy named James Harden on their team, which is a totally fair point if you're just going to go by the raw assist numbers. But that's not necessarily what I'm that interested in here. Um, because regardless of whether he says that, or like, or of whether Harden is on the floor to create plays. The truth is, Embiid is just garnering far more attention than Harden is at this point in his career, and he is the focal point of the offense. And being able to make plays and be like a lubricant at the center position is so incredibly valuable. And when he does it, the the Sixers are just a different team. They're a much more difficult team to beat. And, you know, it's just when he's when he's off the floor, Philly gets 34.8% of their points from three. And that is like the highest on and off difference on their team. Mm. And it's like and if you it, it's like it's like the highest amongst the starters as well. So it's just I don't know that part of it. It's it's kind of funny, that, you know, hearing like <laughs> that he is employed by Daryl Morey of all, of all people, <laughs> because and I know Daryl is advocating for him. I also like there is a part of me that ha- that wonders that like when Embiid shoots over a triple team from the mid range, not to say that he can't, not that he can see over everybody, and he is still very efficient from that area. He's much more efficient than most of the league. It's still a worse th- shot than just passing to PJ Tucker in the corner for three, yeah. and that's especially true on a Philly team that is that is the most accurate team from three. In the NBA, it's not like they don't have shooters. And in order to even shoot, in order to even 
be and then not everything is about numbers but like a lot of things are um Mm -hmm. in order to even be as efficient from mid-range as an average three-point shooter you have to shoot 55 percent from mid-range nobody shoots 55 percent from mid-range Kevin Durant that's comes not a, close, but that's one person, sure. and he's an alien. Right, yeah. Sure, yeah, Kevin Durant, Chris Milton, you know, there's a few guys, but also, Kevin Durant shoots a ton of threes. So is Chris Milton. So, like, there's still, like, a, still a full awareness of what the better shot is. You need the mid-range. You need it in the playoffs especially. You need it to be a creative offensive player. And Joel Embiid is all of those things. And the only thing that is stopping me from making him like the runaway MVP this year is that he just doesn't pass enough. That's yeah. the only thing for me. Yeah. I think, but it's, it's a balance between, you know, when I, when I mentioned the thing about the ugly, it's just sometimes when he like, you know, he tries to just bludgeon, you know, those double teams because he's so powerful and he's so mm-hmm. agile. I mean, like he, his agility for his strength and size is really only rivaled by, I, I mean like his, like just so, like his, mass like in terms of just how big he is really it's only rivaled by like zion honestly in terms of like mm-hmm. his is people say ballerina he just has like this bear <laughs> he's he's like the cocaine bear on the court <laughs> like he he has this like no one is as big as he's like a grizzly like it's it's insane you know whenever you see like a grizzly climb a tree and like get out on a limb and you're like how is it doing like that's kind of how that's kind of how Embiid is but you know, when we see him go to the basket, he's one of the people that's like uniquely qualified to like just gracefully, you know, work his way through double teams. And sometimes those plays are ugly, but like the plays that you're talking about, like shooting over, shooting over extra defenders and things like that. Those are the things we just don't really see Jokic doing, which is mm-hmm. like eliminating wastefulness and comparing them as 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 passers at this point is maybe belaboring a point that doesn't need to be. But if you just mm-hmm. watch in a way to sort of like Put another check in Jokic's box, I guess, if we're going to do that. Um, I don't think Embiid needs to be the passer that Jokic is. That is just an unfair standard to hold him to. Yeah. I just need him to be the passer that he can be. Which is, which if we look at some of the things that Jokic does, maybe that gives us a window into that. And like, so like, if you just, if you watch Jokic read double teams, he just is sort of, there, there are just very few people. I mean, I think we're talking about like LeBron. We're talking about Luka. It's, it's a very short list of players who have the physical presence to create these scenarios of like high post, turns his butt to like the corner and, and the basket sort of behind him. And he's like seeing the floor. Jokic is amazing. I was like just watching some of his double team footage where he passed out, where it was like, he can just turn his head and quickly take a picture of where the help is, take a mm-hmm. picture of where his cutter is. And he's like, this is the thing that I think Embiid is less willing to do, maybe because he just leans so scoring-wise. He could Maybe he's just choosing to do it because he has a reason not to. I don't know. But Jokic, he really, really weaponizes people moving towards him. Like He passes the ball when people are moving towards them. Mm-hmm. He does not wait until the defense is set or like people are standing still. He doesn't give that, that second defender on the weak side a chance to guard two people. He wants to put stress on them. And he makes those plays when they need to be made, you know? And that's the kind of thing that, like, I even feel like I always said this. Uh, Philly Vans got mad at me because I criticized uh, Embiid for this reason. But I just said, like, even when he makes it, keeps it simple. He just keeps his life simple. Like, and he do, he does do this, just not all the time. You know, like, he sees the helper coming. Maybe he doesn't make, like, the manipulative skip pass. But he makes the easy pass to the top of the key. And then it's swing, swing, pump, fake, drive. 
He doesn't. He just doesn't do that all the time, and that's that's the kind of thing that, like, in the playoffs, you do wonder about. Like, is that the thing that's going to be like the shift for him? That's going to get Philly over the hump. Is this the thing that they're going to run up against? Because Jokic hasn't won a title either. I don't want to make it sound mm-hmm. like he's like meeting Jokic's standard, but that's a thing that Giannis is really good at too, and it really helps uh, Milwaukee's yeah. offense. Yeah, and I, th- I think this is something like we'll talk about Jokic's the, the reasons that the Denver Nuggets won't win a title soon is that your stance you're just throwing there you like that's your that's your i, mean, uh, I don't know if you uh, like tell me well like let's get that in, into that later but okay to your question about the playoffs and this is this is one of the reasons that's more frustrating for me to talk about Embiid is that like these are changes that he could actually just make whereas Jokic on the defense end of it is just kind of screwed like he's done what he can and he's screwed like we have maximized the Jokic experience defensively, and folks, let me tell you, there's not a lot to write home about. Write home about, you know, it just is what it is. Um, but there was there was a play that we actually both flagged against Milwaukee. Uh, it was in the first quarter, around the three minute mark, and this is also I already did my Drew Holiday soliloquy last week, so I, I can't do it well. again. Yeah, can't do it again. Um, but there was just there was. A play where the court had really tilted to the corner. I can't tell. I think, oh yeah, D'Anthony Melton had the ball. And he's just got in his hands for a while. And Drew Holiday is just waiting for the most obvious pass in the world to go to Joel Embiid. And he picks it off immediately. And that was like the third time that game that I was thinking, oh, this Sixers offense is way too slow for the Bucs. Like the The Bucs Bucs are just way too fast. They anticipate and help so fast that we both flag this. Like, this is a problem for Philly. And yeah. they're playing Boston tonight. I think this Boston game is going to be very interesting in terms of Embiid's MVP candidacy, but it's also something to watch against Boston because they're, they, they're a similar team on defense. And it's just, you can't project out as an offense what you're doing so transparently and slowly when you're playing the Bucks or, or the Celtics. And, you know, you see this with Embiid's post-ups or when he catches a like. The, the amount of times that you are going to see in the playoffs Embiid get a post catch that like everybody in the building knows that he's getting because Philly is just absolutely dedicated to getting him those catches immediately get picked off the second that he gets it and no one's going to be no one's going to see it coming. But like there's Marcus Smart, there's Derek White, there's Drew Holiday, there's Chris Middleton. There's a lot of guys that love doing shit like that that they have to play against. In fairness to Embiid, that is also just a criticism of Philly's offense. Yeah, I, I had an interesting thought. Oh, there's two points here. That one of them is bigger. Maybe I'll make the the quick one first. But um, I really wonder if you just you mentioned the defensive thing. I had this like really, really like uh, striking realization when I was writing. Uh, I was just in my notes and I was thinking about, okay, well, like, okay, these players are similar. Like we said, Giannis is slightly different. He's more of a four or five and not, not like not a true five if we're going to do the archetype thing. You know, positions don't exist anymore, but roles do. And it's like, um, you know, these these guys, as a result of being similar sized, they kind of are built along principles, like in terms of the roster build that kind of has them parallel too. Whereas we could imagine if we just picked up Joel Embiid and we just dropped him in Denver, you know, I'm sure, you know, the chill lifestyle in Denver, I'm sure it would resonate well with Embiid. I I don't know. I don't know if his personality would, would necessarily, I feel like he meshes more with the Philly mindset as a city than he would, you know, maybe it's just like a happenstance thing where it's just, you know, I don't know. I'm just thinking the Denver laid back thing. 
Joel's in, energy there would be interesting. But I was like, him on that roster, you'd immediately, maybe you, you'd eliminate the playmaking, but you would have movement shooting around him, which I always thought was the thing that you needed to surround Joel Embiid with. Not, not even necessarily like catch and shoot guys strictly. Would Denver be better? Would they be better? Is that an offensive question for me to ask? Like, if if you put Joel with that personnel, what would happen? Would would they be more or less of a contender? That's a really good question. I think they would look very different. I think the way that you know the sun and the stars revolve around Jokic there would obviously just look very different. It kind of reminds me of the Philly teams that had JJ Redick, that had Seth Curry, that had a lot of movement shooting around Joel. I think that always worked really well. Um, obviously you don't have the same defensive issues. I don't know how Aaron Gordon and Joel Embiid play together. I think that yeah. that's co- probably like your first sort of like big rotational change. Simmonsy a little, a little, uh, it feels know, a pop. little Simmonsy. It feels a little Simmonsy. I mean, or Gordon's not, not a shooter and you want him to, you know, he, he thrives where there's space and they would be sucking up the same space. Maybe you bring him off the bench. Maybe he's just not part of their plans anymore. Um, which is fine. If you have, like, the reason you also, like, one of the bigger reasons you have Aaron Gordon is is to mitigate Jokic's defensive weaknesses. I think they're just very different. I don't know if they would be better. Um, that's a very difficult question to answer, but I think they could be. Yeah. There's a, t- there's a real team there, though. Like, there's a real framework for a, a pretty blistering offense. Not blistering in the way that it is right now. Um, and... I think you have more genuine point guard duties from Jamal Murray, but I think that's fine too. Jamal Murray can do that. So yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm a fan. You wonder if you'd be over enabling some of the things that are like not the best. Like we, well, we, we talked about like Jokic. I've, this is just like, I'm, I'm playing, playing the uh, heavy quotes hits here. Just things I say all the time, but I mean, Jokic really does a thing where he enables guys, he enables them to do what they do well without it going too far into wastefulness, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the thing with MPJ, the thing with Murray, the other thing, too, that I was going to mention is um, we bring up playoffs. Playoffs are this is a regular season award, and we've seen guys win the tie. We've seen guys win this award and then lose in the playoffs, and we act like that's some like invalidation of the award. But they're just so different. Like it, it, it's hard to they're inextricable, but it also like makes no sense because. Mm-hmm. The regular season is full, is a sample that is very up and down and inconsistent. And you can't look at, that's the thing about the catch-all metrics that are like, yeah, like a lot of these stats, I, I, they do validate and they do describe how good these guys are. But I think that like coming up against different types of defense is coming up against, you know, the real challenge, which is can you build like, can you beat like a flexible defensive team in a playoff series? That's not up to these guys solely to overcome. Like mm-hmm. a lot of their team stuff factors into it, but I don't know. Um, it does seem like people let the playoffs loom over the discussion a little bit, right? And I guess mm-hmm. it's tied to the fatigue thing there, where we're like, I feel like this is the season where Jokic kind of, even though like statistically it's in his favor, I like the thing that Matt Moore said the other day on Twitter about like if we had an offensive player of the year, I think it's undoubtedly mm-hmm. Jokic. I don't think yeah. there's any any question about that, but. What do you think about that? What do you think about the playoffs and the sort of malaise hanging over the discussion? Oh, I think it brings up the dependency thing. The MVP thing always makes me ask the question of like, should you want to win MVP? Because historically, if you win the MVP, you are highly, highly unlikely to win the title that year. I haven't checked that. I don't remember what the number is now, but I think it's like 16 of 
the last like 21 or 22 MVP winners have not won the title. Because if you win MVP, it usually means that your team is in a position where they really, really need you. And mm. that kind of lends itself to being scouted out of the playoffs because it's a little, you, your style is probably predictable. And once they key in on you and shut you down or let you score, whatever the method is, is just, you just, we've talked about this a ton. You need a lot to win the title now. It's just yeah. like it. You, you need a lot of offensive talent. You usually at this at this point you need like two MVP level guys um, to get there, which is bonkers. Yeah, it, it was, I mean we've seen it happening. Like the Curry seasons, obviously where he did it, and we also mm-hmm. did the thing. You know, we talked the about Cur- like, Curry is like the uh, one of the latest like real exceptions to this. Curry and, and Giannis, like that's that's been pretty much it. And uh, you know everyone else is out and you know knocked out early land and then start people start talking about how you're overrated because like you won the mvp but didn't win the title and it's like well it's more of a flaw of how we define mvp than it is anything else yeah we're always trying to balance this like celebrating the capacity for an individual versus like dinging people for like we did that i mean lebron obviously got the one of the famous ones that we've we we didn't say specifically because we didn't tediously go through the history of this award and like snubs and things but one of the notable ones i think that like kind of illustrates this the parameters of this was the 2011 derrick rose which he's you know the youngest mvp maybe in history mm-hmm. i don't know he was, he was super young um LeBron didn't win it that year because LeBron was on it. He, but he was rewarded on those seasons. Like I've always talked about some of the biggest like Helios seasons of all time. LeBron mm-hmm. in 08, 09, 09, 10. If you go back and look at like 87, 88 Jordan, we're talking about some of the craziest output seasons ever. We're just, we balance the MVP award between, you know, rewarding the best player and the best team. And but then we also are just like, well, you didn't get it done. So you're not going to it's just this Mm -hmm. odd balance, you know, where it's like, what is value is value showing us like what you're capable of on any given night or is value fitting fitting within a winning construct? I think Mm -hmm. I'm more the latter. Like, I I think I'm more the latter. And it's like uh, we saw Giannis go up against this. I don't know. It just seems like we're always trying to balance those two teams things because in like 2011, LeBron was the best player in the world at that point, Mm -hmm. but he was with other stars and winning. Is he less valuable because, because he didn't score as much or assist as much? I think you're really underplaying what the narrative was that year, which was fuck LeBron James for going to Miami. Like, I don't think, I don't think the team stuff really mattered and it became a really good excuse for why he didn't deserve to be the MVP that year. But I think we kind of pre-constructed that LeBron was not going to be the MVP that year. And then Derrick Rose that year, just just a master of PR in training camp says, why not? Why can't I be the MVP of this league? And everyone is like, wow, that's adorable. Profound. Yeah. Adorable. Tenderic, and then he comes out of the game yeah. <laughs> and he just, he has like, he's just on fire. He's on fire until basically late December that year. Um, I was a Bulls fan, so I remember this very well. He, uh, he improved his three point shot. It's a point where at one point in that year, he was shooting 42% from three, which if you remember how Derek Rose drove to the lane, you do not want that man to be able to shoot 42% from three at the same time. Then, this is a complete digression, by the way. They play oh, against really? the Clippers, and he misses two free throws, or he misses a free throw. At this point, he's only like a 72% free throw shooter at some, or something, right? 
And he's completely just down on himself. He can't believe he missed these free throws, too. That would have sent the game to overtime. He starts maniacally working on his free throw shot. And his three-point shot just goes completely haywire after that. Mm. And I thought that was just a really interesting moment in terms of development and trying to work on multiple things at the same time because it was just uncanny the way that one followed the other. And I think like I'd rather would have had him be a great three-point shooter, especially with the injuries that he had later on. Um, but anyway, I digress majorly <laughs> there. <laughs> Kyle, get us back on track. Well, I'd love to sit here and talk about your your disappointment about Derrick Rose and everything. And, uh, well, that's another special series coming soon. But, no, I mean, like, we're always... I mean, the Derrick Rose disappointment hit just incredible lows. Yeah, it's been a ride. It's been a ride. But, I mean, that was a good Bulls team, to be fair. And we're talking about teams that are competing and things like that. And it's like, I don't know. I, I'm always just kind of... The question of, like, what is value? Is value, like... I, th- I think it. I think it is. I think it's like we are going to have to balance like the brilliance of mm-hmm. the individual, you know, performance. And I think you know one. You made an excellent example here of like one of the like crux uh, points of this was the Kawhi situation when we were mm. debate. We were busy debating. Talk a little bit about that. We were debating Russ and Harden. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kawhi is fitting into this winning thing, which is the point. Um, yeah. It, it has to be the point because if we're going to criticize you about not winning, then why would we not value it in our thinking to begin with? What the fuck's going on, dude? I'm lost. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Kyle. I think that that year was just an excellent example. And it kind of, it reminds me of this year where you have this MVP race between Embiid and Jokic, which has become a proxy war for everyone. It's a proxy war if you're just talking about basketball. It's a proxy war if you're talking about race, if you're talking about like stylistic differences. It has just been a really ugly, weird MVP debate where people are talking about everything except for basketball. Rob Mahoney actually wrote a great column about that, which everyone should go read. Ooh. But it reminds me of the Westbrook Harden year where everyone is having this debate about Russ versus Harden and projecting all these other things onto it. And we're talking about, you know, well, how many games should you have to win? And like that Russ averaging the triple double and all of that stuff. Um, Meanwhile, Kawhi Leonard is just out here actually being the best player in the NBA. And yeah, his raw numbers aren't as crazy, but he is legitimately like it was at that point where LeBron was still good enough that we weren't really willing to give it to him. So we would call him the best two way player in the NBA, (laughs) which was just the most ridiculous thing that we did. Uh, He this was this is like pre injury Kawhi the year that in the playoffs before he steps on Zaza's foot or before Zaza puts his foot under his foot, uh, as I, I remember it, um, the Spurs were just destroying the Warriors, and you were like, whoa, they don't know how to guard this guy. Like, what's well, going on? Are the Spurs going to the finals? Defeat, Are the right. mighty Warriors dynasty in KD's first year not going to be successful? What the hell? Um, Russ... But it was all about Russ and Harden. I feel like that's kind of the situation with Giannis this year. Yeah, it it feels that way. I mean, but the word that came to mind was like masturbatory in terms of like counting stats and things like that, which, you know, there are excesses of the helio movement that you could argue are a little bit or are, are a little bit in that direction. I know that's a harsh word, but um, those teams were contenders. But yeah, the, the Kawhi thing is interesting. I guess just balancing. Uh, we have to balance it. That's the reality. We have to balance that thing. 
Giannis, we haven't talked about him as much. It's a team that's well-built. It's a team that has a specific philosophy. A philosophy. It's built around specific strengths, and that's all a part of the equation here. We mm-hmm. praised the virtues of their defense last week. Giannis is probably the best. There's a question. I mean, like he's the most switchable of these three guys. He's, you know, is he necessarily... Then you start to, like you know, have the question of like weighing like quality rim protection versus like switchability and like tough assignment things. He's the tough assignment taker of these three. Giannis is the best defender of this group with all due respect to Joel Embiid's rim protection, which has not really been as consistent as it could be in, in previous years. Is that by years. choice or is it just by out like, or that's what I'm saying is like, because it seems like he saves himself a little bit. And that's, you know, that's another bullet point sure. here is and availability. Sure. Availability matters in this. And it's like, sure. And I know. also, yeah, Giannis actually has played the least amount of games out of these guys as well when you talk about the availability point. But I think I don't, on the defense point, I don't think it's particularly close. In a league where, by the way, switch about, switchability and versatility matters a ton, and he's also still an excellent rim protector, and he does, as we talked about last week, do the two places at once thing better than any of these guys. Um, we talked about field goal differential a lot last week. Giannis's field goal differential is minus 6.9. Which is by far the nice. highest amongst anybody who has a reason. Yeah, thank you. Was by far the the highest amongst anybody who has had a reasonable amount of people try to score on them. Which, by the way, barely even happens with Giannis anymore. Like I was, I was digging into the Embiid versus Jokic defensive numbers, which we actually didn't really even get to. But like, I think suffice it to say that Jokic is just not a good defender, and that should very much figure figure into this race. Um, you cannot find a lot of Giannis isolation defense stats because that's just not something that people are trying very much these days. That's a, that's a key part of these types of stats is, yeah, people will mm-hmm. like look at them side by side and forget the not, you know, the part of the data that's not there, which is right. some guys are so good they get avoided because they are good. That's how it works. And this is this is essentially what you said about to Kawhi as well. Um, you know, Matt Moore wrote this great article a couple years ago about how, you know, their Kawhi got to be such a destructive defender that there was a side of the floor that opposing offenses just wouldn't really try to do anything on because the chances of him just destroying the play or stealing the ball were so high. And that's pretty useful. And like Giannis, Giannis has that in a lot of different ways. So it's not just his isolation defense effect that he can pretty much switch onto anybody. Um, it's also just, there are very few guys in the NBA that can hang out in the paint and then jump out to a three point shooter at the same time. Like the thing that has made offense so difficult to figure out, I think to me is that exact decision. We talked about it last week. Guy comes off a pick, you got to deal with what's going on in the pick and roll situation. That's number one. And then that means that you have somebody on help side deciding whether they want to help on the roll or they want to help on the three-point shooter. And it's in the offense's hands. Giannis is one of the only guys, maybe the only guy in the NBA, who can decide where he's going to go after you've passed the ball. (laughs) The whole argument for Jokic is that the ball moves faster than a player does. And Giannis might move faster than the ball does on defense in certain, in certain settings. Yeah. yeah. Like he's just, he's just that destructive on that. end, And I think that has to figure into 
into his MVP candidacy. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that goes on whenever we're ranking these guys. Like, you know, in terms of like, I don't know. I, I was making like a, a funny like relationship parallel. I know we were joking about relationships before we started our recording where I was like, there's an early thing. I, I feel like there's, I love Jokic. I love what he does. Maybe my my song, my tune will change once we've seen it work. You know, and I even made the argument that, yeah, we've seen great offensive players that give up a lot. Um, on defense, we've seen them get schemed around enough to where they can win, you know, some playoff series and enough playoff games in a row to win a title. Um, but there's a funny thing that, like, it reminds me of is like, you know, early in any kind of like relationship. I know there's always that time where you just you get really kind of drunk on the commonality or like the fun things that are fun. But it's like at the end of the day, it comes down to okay, like. Who is gonna Who is gonna be able to do like the the gritty things of a relationship that are like not as fun that are like the dirty work? Not you know. Not, sorry for that like phrasing, but I mean, and that's kind of like those are the little things that are less that are less sexy than like a, a beautiful skip pass or maybe you know those things are present on winning teams. But I, I feel like with Jokic, we're at that point where we're like we kind of need to see the end of the line, which is like getting stops at the end of games, getting stops at the end of playoff games. Um, I feel like we both are kind of, do you think that this award is strictly between Embiid and Jokic or like how in play is Giannis? Do you think Giannis hit like the, and I, well, the thing I was going to say too is that like I've ranked Jokic number number one twice in a row on our top 100. But if, and we saw this in our all-star draft thing, if you made me draft a player Giannis just doesn't get his net rating as a player. He just doesn't give up as much. You know, he doesn't have that huge hole in his game. You know, he doesn't give up a ton of the offense mm -hmm. that he gives on the, on the defensive. So like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like it's not totally ridiculous yeah. even still to like say that Giannis could win this. Is it? I don't know. Am I crazy? Oh no. It's, it's, it's definitely not. I still, but there's still, the Bucks have four games left in the season. The Sixers have three games left in the season. I think Denver has three games left in the season. I'm not picking my MVP until those games are done. Like, spoiler alert for the end of this podcast. I don't know who my MVP is. I have no idea who my MVP is yet. Um, Giannis has only played 62 games this year. Will he play in three of the last four games? That matters to me. I think 65, 65 is like my bar. You have to play 65 games to win the MVP. You just do, in my opinion. Embiid has a huge game against the Celtics tonight. He's got another pretty big game against against the Heat. Not as It's not the matchup that it used to be, but it's always kind of interesting when the Sixers and the Heat play. I'll be watching that closely as well. So She'll be watching, folks. I don't, I don't think this is really done yet. Um, on the Jokic point, when it comes to doing the dirty work a love the relationship metaphor b i also wonder if this is a roster construction issue as well in the same way that some of the Embiid issues are a roster construction issue the one thing with Giannis is that the bucks have just put the perfect roster around him um the way that they play defense is very much built on what you can do with Giannis, and they found guys who will play into that and then on the other end we talk about fatal flaws Giannis's mid-range shooting has only got worse. You know, we, we're just we're not seeing an uptick in that at all, um, and that has largely just not mattered for this Bucks team. Maybe it'll end up mattering the playoffs, uh, but it has not mattered because they play five out. 
they have played five out this whole time and they've been really good at it. They've surrounded him with shooters and Chris Middleton is just one of the most devastating mid-range threats. And by the way, he's only played 32 games this season. You got to factor that into the Giannis's MVP case too. We want to talk about the dependency aspect of it. That is that that's definitely going to factor in for me just like how many injuries other people on the Bucks have sustained. I think Drew's played about 64, 65 games as well. So he's missed some time. And uh yeah, but it's just they they have found the right guys to put around Giannis to mitigate his weaknesses and accentuate his strengths. Like just open up the floor and he can drive to the paint every time. And he is so destructive that like yeah, in this specific case, it doesn't necessarily matter that he can't shoot. And you know, well, as the- he's put it, you know, he can't do everything. You know, you can't he can't have <laughs> he can't have the family and the championship, and, you know, the wife, and all that stuff, you know, it's just, and all these, uh, this athleticism, these God-given skills, you know, God had to keep him humble, he can't shoot, he can't shoot, one of my favorite videos, and really brings it back to the start, these guys are so funny, um, I wonder what conversation we're having about Jokic, if the Nuggets do find a Kavon Looney, if they do find a Draymond Green, right? Because that is the missing piece that they have had this entire time. It was, there was a moment where it looked like Jeremy Grant could be that guy, but he wanted to, he wanted a bigger role. And I was thinking about this yesterday, like, man, Jeremy, Jeremy Grant going to Detroit and then getting traded to like this Portland team that is just not very good. I feel like if both sides could have a do over, they'd just be like, you know what? We're pretty good for each other. Let's, let's, let's keep it moving. Uh, let's let's ride this out again. Um, they have not found that guy. It's a, it's a difficult guy to find. Aaron Gordon is not really that guy. He ha- definitely is a strong defender. He just doesn't have like that same level of intelligence to put him on the Draymond, Kavon Looney. And he doesn't necessarily have that grit either. He's like 70% of the way there, but he's not that defender, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe they find that guy one day. And maybe that's the Nuggets' path to a title. But right now, I just wrote an article about the Thunder, who could very easily be the uh, the Nuggets' first round matchup. They lead the NBA in drives. Oh yes, they I don't do. Know. I don't young know. man's game. It's a young man's game. Like I said, um, go and read that article about a team that maybe we'll be discussing in in a serious, you know, playoff contention way here in the future. The Thunder, yeah. really interesting team. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I want to see how these last man some really good games. It's good when the games matter. It's good when the regular season games matter. Um, she is seared. So he read that article. I've enjoyed this. Uh, good talk. Good good MVP talk, Seared. Um, just uh, just spit fire today in, in Philadelphia. You uh, you got the uh, you got the power of that city behind you. I can feel it. Your methods worked, and that'll do it for us. So uh, we will. Uh, I'm not sure what our schedule is going to be coming up here, but as as the playoffs are are coming at us, but check me out. I'm also over on One Shining Podcast. The tournament just wrapped up. If you want to check that out, uh, I did some uh, reaction stuff with tape. But other than that, I'm good. Sierra, good to see you. Thanks to Chris Sutton. Thanks uh, to you guys, and we will catch you later.